Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of ID Podcast. Uh, we are back here today with uh, two of, I would say, legends of the podcast already uh, that, that haven't been there last time for um, for the last two. So we've got um, Jeremy and Peter here. Welcome back, uh, gentlemen. Thank you. And Thank you. we have a new guest with um, Doug Riemann here. So uh, welcome to you, Doug. Uh, just, uh, I guess, to, to to explain to the episode who you are, maybe you can, um, um, you know, tell us a little bit about you know, what you've done in the past and and, uh, uh, and obviously why you are in gambling maybe as well. Uh, ab- absolutely. Thanks very much indeed uh, for the kind invitation today. Um, for the last two years, um, I've, um, I've um, been self-employed and my company is Gambling Compliance, Gambling Compliance and Risk Consultants. Um, we specialise in providing audits and effectively compliance health checks for um, land-based and all sorts of uh, gambling um, bingo, um, retail betting shops, and online. Okay. Um, prior to that, um, I worked for ten years in the industry, in the land-based industry, principally in security and in the role of uh, money laundering reporting officer for mm-hmm. a large land-based casino, uh, Caesar's Entertainment in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, that gave me a, ground, um, um, a lot of ground grounding in the work I do at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, heavily involved at the moment with um, sort of um, audit reviews um, and just basically looking at uh, remediation work on behalf of clients and steering them through the regulatory process. Okay, and, um, and because you obviously were also at the, at the City of London Police, so um, do you think that also helped a little bit to, to uh, you know, get your foot in quicker into the roles you've been um, or you know, did that experience help at all? Um, yes, absolutely. I've, um, before I actually um, came into the industry, which was back in 2007, um, by that time I'd worked for 18 years uh, with the City of London Police, um, ostensibly heavily involved with the uh, Financial Investigation Unit. Um, and in fact, I headed it up for four years. Um, prior to that, I um, uh, was involved um, with the Asset Recovery Unit. So principally our work involved um, largely around confiscation and asset recovery. Um, with that qualification and experience of um, effectively confiscating the bad guy's assets, uh, that gave me a very good groundwork into uh, the type of work that um, in the industry, uh, particularly it came down to looking at um, customers' due diligence, mm-hmm. enhanced due diligence and those type of things. Um, and more importantly, looking at it from a practical point of view um, and then being able to use that experience from a law enforcement into seeing the challenges uh, that that brings uh, to the as an operator. Okay. So I found that um, hugely helpful. I mean, that's very interesting. I mean, I mean, probably I would have uh, already now ten or twenty questions, um, you know, to delve into that. Uh, I guess. But w- what I wanted to start it off with with uh, with today is uh, I just wanted to because it is actually last podcast before the new year. So um, as you know, people in December, mid December, they start doing um, things around you know highlights of the year. Uh, uh, just to recap, uh, you know what happened. So uh, maybe straight to you, Peter. What what was your highlight uh, this year? Maybe from a let's say uh, you know gambling overall level. What was the the, the the kind of biggest thing, and maybe also like a personal um, um, a thing added to that as well. I think. I think by far the biggest thing all year is just generally being around regulation, whatever that is, and, and you know whether it's the UK imposing big fines or whether uh, it's other regulators trying to take that blueprint and and and, and develop their solution to uh, regulations around that. I think that's the the big driver for everything. Um, clearly, from my own perspective, from an identity background, it's all around watching that new tech develop. 
Uh, and if there's one area, it's around um, sort of self-exclusions and how jurisdictions are trying to build out that tech tie-in, their ID with that. So whether that's the UK GAMP stop and the challenges they've got or um, the Malta trying to be a much bigger and more ambitious programme, that's the area I've been concentrating on. So that, I guess for me, it, it's regulation in those areas of identity. Okay. And Jeremy, what about well, yourself? Uh, yes, definitely regulation being uh, a new the new force to reckon uh, with. But uh, I think in, in more precise words, the, um, the power of point of consumption in the regulatory world versus the point of supply, this is now nearly the end of point of supply. Uh, as we know it, this is going to become a fierce competitive territory for the point of supply uh, uh, jurisdictions. And the point of consumption is now an accepted rule, is now an accepted principle in Europe, in the US as well, which is, I think, also uh, my second biggest point here around what happened in 2019. The US expansion of regulations in a point of consumption model with its own very particular uh, American flavor is definitely uh one of the biggest uh, change of this word uh, this year and finally i think that the third point i i see is the hidden regulation coming uh especially from the us and i'm thinking uh, about the regulation from the sorts of uh, apple for example which are becoming the the new jurisdiction where no company has yet any compliance department looking into the regulations and requirements, and that links to what you said in matters of technology. Technology regulation is becoming uh, probably what will be the the next big topic, and that will come on top of this point of consumption uh, rule. Okay, uh, and what about yourself, Doug? Um, This year has, I think, uh, provided many challenges, particularly um, uh, with my focus on, if I was looking at land-based operations, for example, um, and um, looking, in fact, going back to 2017 and 18, I think uh, one of the things that um, um, I saw coming up fairly promptly was um, the issue of affordability, and that's based on casework. Um, a lot based on common sense, to be honest with you. So uh, throughout 2019, my highlights have been um, and particularly focused on work uh, uh, with uh, various clients um, is, um, um, is teaching them um, um, how to take on board the, the importance of affordability. And if you look at that, it's very much a, a prescriptive approach um, that I think it's approaching as far as, the, uh, as far as the license condition is concerned. And how to balance that against uh, the AML sector, uh, which is very much still a um, principle of risk-based approach. Um, and I found that uh, been quite interesting over the last few months uh, as a, uh, what I call a steep learning curve for the operators. Uh, but that's been a highlight and a focus for me uh, throughout 2019. Okay, perfect. Uh, I mean, so in the in the last few weeks, though, the, 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 uh, there was a lot of events, uh, a lot of um, gaming events. Uh, there was um, some that, uh, you know, some of us attended together, uh, like an example, gaming in Spain. Uh, there was obviously the... Um, you know the Sigma Malta, and there was also the KPMG Malta, and at every single 
one of them. Obviously, affordability was a very, very big topic. I mean, as we just heard, then regulation uh, in obviously in the areas as they are, if it's Spain, if it's Malta was was very important. And I think it kind of fits into what you guys just said, because, you know, regulation is becoming a you know very, very big thing. And obviously how the regulators are going to are going to manage the whole thing now. Uh, obviously, there's two sides to it for me. I think there's technology and obviously there is the people who actually operate, right? So it's the operators and the technology to it. So, And we discussed on a panel and the Gaming in Spain events how our regulators currently you know, dealing with that. And we did that in episode one as well. And I think every time everyone says... You know, the regulators have to realize and work also a lot more with the technology providers because at the moment there is, you know, some bits here, some bits there, and, you know, they're not bringing it together. So, so what would be, again, uh, and I think, you know, we talked about it, but but now that we've heard so much input from these different events, uh, you know, we've heard in Spain, we've heard it in Malta, um, who, who do you think has been the first one to, to really deal with it properly and are there any signs of you know, getting better at that? Well, I don't, know if, I don't know if anybody's got the full handle on it. I think what's more interesting for this particular podcast, it's Doug's here, is looking at how that land-based and online's converging because I think they've always been seen to be slightly different. So if we're looking at regulators, you know, there's not many people like Doug will know as many as you do, certainly from a UK perspective. So I'm more interested in sort of that data and tech in an offline world, be it retail or land-based. What's, what's your view on it, Doug, around sort of how technology and ID is being implemented from a land-based side? I, I think uh, if you look at it, break it down to two parts. So if, if, if I look at it from a, uh, a, a fintech point of view to start off with, um, if we go back a couple of years ago now, the land-based industry um, has been, um, together with the Gambling Commission, talking to uh, UK payments, um, and you know, looking at the possibility of increasing the use of contactless and what we call um, car technology within the land-based environment. Um, I mean, historically and currently, uh, very much um, cash is still plays a predominant role in the land-based sector. And I think that um, one of the things that the land-based sector have accepted um, and have taken on board is that over time and in the not-too-distant future, cash will be, um, to a certain extent, will disappear. And we've already seen that uh, throughout other sectors. For example, you can't buy a cup of coffee with, in some places with cash now. And I think over time, um, the cash levels will come down. Uh, there's been a certain amount of resistance, for example, by the Gambling Commission um, to accept the need for, uh, for like contact, contactless payments, for example, uh, to be used in a land-based environment um, because the rules that currently exist, uh, for example, an ATM machine must be a certain distance away from um, um, a, a table or from any other gaming machine. And there's certain distance rules between like a gaming table and a machine. Mm -hmm. Now, coming back to the aspect of technology in particular, um, but the Gambling Commission have um, not accepted, I think it's too much of a risk to allow a customer to use contactless technology, albeit with restrictions, for example, at £30 a transaction. Yeah, but wouldn't that be, I mean, you know, people that are listening to this, they'll be asking themselves now, I mean, surely with technology and with contactless, uh, obviously technology, you could really limit, like, a player to to you know a certain amount because you you know certainly have the name obviously on the card etc and uh, but but obviously if there's if if someone has cash I mean that's obviously you know pretty much anonymous right so 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 why 
what would be the reason for them not to really enforce that kind of uh, you know electronic payment side? I think um, they would see it that um, unless the industry could demonstrate having controls within both their membership databases and um, sort of um, and talking to the bank or the, the card issuer, for example. And I have to make the point now that the technology was very much being sold on the basis that would be mobile phone technology rather than the card, because obviously there's a risk of the card being misused uh, by by fraudsters. Yeah. So the um, the industry was trying to um, you know use or persuade the gambling commission that the correct way to do it. And the other thing that's important that um, um, at the moment the controls that are there online through online payments, everything can be tracked and monitored from the time it leaves the bank account to an electronic wallet and the time it goes back. So there's a complete audit trail. In a land-based environment, to a certain extent, you've got debit card payments, you've got cash, you've got bank transfers, and you've got um, cash packets that get issued and may come back into the environment. But the whole issue of tracking and monitoring a customer's um, journey um, is completely different from online because there's always a break in the audit trail. Mm-hmm. So we was trying, to, you know, we're saying to the commission that if the land base would have the opportunity to use modern day technology um, in a modern day casino environment, that would provide better opportunities to for the operator to track and monitor a player. Um, importantly, from affordability and a social responsibility point of view. And of course, with the financial technology available these days, it would also allow the land base to put in place controls, uh, which will uh, which limits can be placed by the customer themselves or by the operator. So, you, appropriate to do so you saying you said they're the opportunity to do that? Are, are the regulations stopping them doing that? What's it? There's, there's nothing. Uh, no, the, I mean the at the moment the um, the regulations uh, what. The Gambling Commission's argument is that the use of contactless technology um, is contrary to the way the social responsibility oh, right. code. Yeah. Um, and it provides too much opportunity. That, yeah. the, the whole concept being that um, there's supposed to be a break in play. Yeah, it's that immediate access to cash effectively. That's really, right. Yeah. So if you, if you run out of funds, for example, the expectation would be that you would have to leave a table or leave a machine to top up. Yeah. But essentially, there's a break in play from a social responsibility point of view. Uh, yes, that does present challenges, but again, um, even with the use of mobile technology, uh, we would say, in a, you know, with putting your thinking caps on and working in partnership with the regulator, mm-hmm. there would be a there would be a way of having a break in play and using technology at the same time, and at the same time providing a balance for social responsibility. So I guess I mean an example. Let's say instead of having the you know payments directly at the table. Would it, because obviously there would be a break of play if a player would have to go to an example like a cashier to get his chips, but still did a contactless payment. But if an example a card is registered against his, you know, personal profile, because obviously most of UK casinos they have membership cards in order to gain access. So would it be an example an idea to you know register a certain card against a membership and only let the customer use this card to an example withdraw funds i mean wouldn't is, is, i is i, I think here idea? roger the, the the key element is not really just the customer journey and the technology uh, enabling those different steps poses breaks etc it's a question around anony- uh, anonymity of the players and because from the moment that you have access to the full identity and the full behavior and customer journey of someone, even if he's going to 
contactlessly, uh, seamlessly put funds at the table, at the machine or things like that, you have the ability from the time that you recognize, you uh, identify the player to block the payment, to block the transaction. So the technology is here. The real debate is around anonymity in, in uh, land-based gaming, which I believe does not exist anymore uh, uh, in the online world. And this is something, ju just to, to finish on that point, this is something that is becoming more and more uh, um, uh, Really, in the trends of the technology, you're going to you, all the free to play in the online. This is coming the mobile uh, first approach that you are uh, talking about is anyway coming. The regulations are going to confront themselves to this uh, uh, power of the mobile technology where you will be able to seamlessly, like a bank ID allows in uh, Sweden, etc., to connect to the bank account and play directly seamlessly. No customer uh, user. This is what Apple is going to do also with its identifier. But someone will have the point of responsibility of KYC, of the identity of the player. And from the moment that there is full responsibility, then everything will be available. I think that's a key. The KYC thing, ultimately, most of it comes back to that. So over the years, Doug and I have crossed paths. It's been looking at why online is different from offline, vice versa. Where, where do you think they are now? And I absolutely agree that two paths are converging when it comes to identity. But where do you see the land-based sector as it is right now? And what do you think is going to be changing over the next sort of year or two? Well, I mean, where, where it is at the moment, um, I think that so if you look at the larger operators, um, you know, without naming names, uh, but the larger operators have embraced what I would call um, better technology in terms of um, what we call customer relationship um, databases. Um, they're evolving over time to take on board the, um, the again, the enhancement of the social responsibility uh, regime in terms of like customer interactions and monitoring and allowing customers to, to um, place limits and indeed operators to place limits. So it's very much um, sort of coming in line with the, on the online industry. Um, but moving forward, um, it's one thing that I felt certainly in the last couple of years is that um, whilst that's um, a good fit for a big operator who's got the resources behind them to um, bring on board that type of technology. Some of the small operators are using very old systems and legacy systems, um, which don't really, what I would say, um, are nowhere near the standard that online are doing. So the ability to track and monitor a player, for example, or embrace financial sort of fintech or indeed regtech uh, coming in behind it um, are very constrained at the moment. So that's one of the challenges coming forward. Um, that said, um, one of the things the Gambling Commission have made quite clear, now the industry's been crying out for years to have more machines um, and, and better, uh, you know, more machines in their premises, for example. The Gambling Commission say, that's fine, um, we would support that, but you would need to demonstrate to us as the regulator and indeed the wider public um, that your technology and controls um, are, again, uh, brought up to a standard uh, that would allow us to support the increase in machines. Mm -hmm. Now, that in itself presides uh, a bit of a challenge because um, in, order to, um, in order to invest, um, it's a bit of a sort of um, catch-22 situation. You would probably need more machines in order to get more, more funds, um, 
over time responsibly from customers in order to invest. But at the moment, there's been that sort of um, school of thought as far as the operators are concerned, is that unless we've got a clear indication from a regulator that they will support um, enhancement and improvement and more more machines for the industry, then they will um, meet that with more investment in technology. But isn't it a bit uh, a fig leaf for the land-based industry to claim that technology uh, and the gaming commission is playing that game as well? Isn't the real problem um, the acceptance of the end of anonymity for the players? Because technology, even when it wasn't that mature, when it wasn't uh, fully deployed in the online world, has been combined, compiled by cumbersome Excel files, information, things like that. Technology has never been the trigger. It has been the, the, the enabler and, and uh, making more efficient. But at heart, it, be, it was the online industry accepted that players are tracked. And at worst, the, the payment methods were not necessarily clearly related when it was uh, e-wallets and things like that. But there was a clear... Uh, so you, you see the online world accepted that and moved from, quicker yeah. than the offline. Is, is, is that is, not just regulation not forcing them to? Or? I'm assuming it, it's a bit of the old argument is would we ever identify everybody if you didn't have to because it's costly and complex. You know, when regulation... The, the, yeah, yeah, but is it costly and complex nowadays? I mean, I mean, we obviously heard. I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, by now there's many many solutions that uh, that would allow you to do it uh, obviously you know a lot cheaper and then obviously on the other side you have I think to decide, three of us at the all four of us you know in our world absolutely cost yeah. is coming down streamlining process is quicker but if you're I guess what you're saying is if that mindset is still set back in the if you like the old ways of the land base then any costs it's costly it's on, near online costly yeah be. online remains an e-commerce industry at the end of the day and uh, the operators are making the most of those constraints into improving the efficiencies of marketing, BI, behavioral uh, analytics for protection of harm, but also for marketing uh, purposes. The land-based industry, as I see it from the, the online uh, eyes, is still more of an entertainment uh, industry that wants to offer uh, products and, uh, and entertainment services to its customers without requiring from them the constraining uh, identity or follow the identity checks are here but the, the follow-up on the player and follow-up of the behavioral uh, analytics around okay which machine did you go which uh, venue where, where do you go what do you do and I'm going to cater for you something uh, uh, based on the full transparency of your activity with us seems to be uh, for me the reason why this is not progressing rather than waiting for the regulation or the technology or the combination of both i think that uh, coming back to the point i was making about the larger operators some of the land-based operators in great britain for example have um, other um, interest in online uh, whether that be in great britain or overseas and it's those providers um, who have to, as a result of a license condition anyway, be able to demonstrate that they are able to monitor effectively across all the platforms that they offer to various customers. Um, so some of the, op you know, like um, um, so one operator in particular, a couple of operators I can think of, um, have actually invested in technology. So therefore, they've got the, they're developing electronic wallets, uh, which historically 
uh, were not something that we'd seen in the land-based industry at all. Mm -hmm. So the development of an electronic wallet in a land-based environment is the, is, the, is the way forward. Coming back to the point I was making about um, modern technology in the terms of like mobile phones, which can be tracked, monitored, not only controlled by the customer, but given an operator a much, much higher degree of confidence that we, so we've asked the question, who are you? The technology in a mobile phone will actually answer part of that question, although not directly to the operator, but by a technology. So you've answered two questions. Yeah. And then over time, you're able to speak to a bank account, albeit directly. Um, if a customer has got multiple debit cards, again, that provides an opportunity to monitor across the, the, the what I would call the customer's financial profile, albeit indirectly. Yeah and gives them a much better idea of who they're playing to. Um, conversely, um, with the way the systems are at the moment, and I'm talking about the, uh, the smaller operators, they're very much still operating in a cash-based environment without the opportunity, um, for the most part, to, because they, they lack the technology in terms of an electronic wallet. My, my view is the way forward for all land-based operators is to embrace the online model and move towards an online, you know, what I would call like an, an offline wallet, but using the same technology to properly track the customers um, from the time that they are onboarded. Coming back to the point about um, um, the anonymous customer, um, majority, you know, for the most part, the majority of casinos are dealing with people that use debit cards or the, the alternative of a mobile phone, if it were permitted. Yeah. You would have to be onboarded and properly identified in terms of, like, who are you, and go through that um, onboarding process anyway before a debit card is permitted. And that obviously prevents fraud or third-party third party fraud risks. Well, so I think that well, and I guess I mean obviously affordability plays a part into that as well because if if someone's anonymous, you obviously don't know their situations, whatever it is. So, so I guess that would that that would help as well with an offline wallet, like you said, in order to really know who your customer is and in order to obviously protect them as as your customers, right? That's right, and um, and the other thing that um, fits in with that um, is that moving towards what I call a more electronic-based system in the in the land-based would encourage operators to make better use of reg tech uh, technology in the background to um, use or identify a person electronically. Um, I mean, one of the things, it's a requirement under the regs to make sure that a person's identity is up to date. So when a passport expires or a driving license expires, um, that's something that you must do. Um, again, that has historically provided um, challenges, particularly for the smaller operators that haven't got a system that automatically tells an operator when a yeah, driving license has expired. Yeah, it's an Excel sheet or something like that that you have to manually go through, right, an example. That's right. right. Okay. So, um, again, that's something else that I think the industry needs to take on board is that with a, you know, with a digital ID system these days, that can be, the check can be repeated as many times as you want, whether that's done automatically or whether the operator has actually forced the check. Uh, maybe there's a behaviour change. Um, but again, um, that would, um, in my view, is something, hopefully, one would say that they would take it on board with the Fifth Money Laundering Directive, putting more emphasis on um, accepting digital ID, supported by the government and supported by the regulator. Do you think there's an appetite in the industry for that? Because I accept what you say about the bigger brands, but we've been having this conversation for years about the online world, 
effectively just stuck in the past on we see them we know them with the, but you know those conversations with any american about walking in with a bag of money and a driving license they're fine yeah you know you and i have known each other for years we're still having the same conversation that appetite is either going to be driven by the regulator who's just going to have to say you're going to do it or the operator recognizing that in five years time the landscape's going to be very different from what it is now you know, my view is if they don't embrace this and don't accept that's where they've got to get to and take the cost aside for a second, then they're not going to have much of a business in, in a case I, because somebody's going to regulate it out of them. I think the uh, the problems that the industry has had um, to date and currently is that they tend to look in the rearview mirror too much yeah. and, and deal with problems that have come up in terms of like regulatory failure and look at the possible fixes uh, rather than look into what's happening in the future. I mean, one of the things I do um, routinely um, is look at the developments at the uh, Financial Conduct Authority, um, and they tend to look to the future And when they're looking at the banking industry. How about that when the banking's ahead of um, our sector? So I always look at what's happening in the banking industry to what can be applied to the uh, gaming industry. And there's not too much, you know, there, there are significant differences in terms of products, but in terms of the way that money moves around the system, they're the same. They don't change, and that will never be. They, they will never change. Um, and I think for the most part is that uh, there's got to be an understanding. I think there already is. I think the land-based industry and the people that I know uh, very well and deal with um, and have done for many years um, at top compliance levels do accept the need to embrace electronic technology to better manage the customer journey. And that's a, that's a given. Which is radically changing the the job of a land-based casino it's becoming and as well as in the online more of a forensic analysis uh, organization to review the data and the behaviors of their uh, their customers their users and forensic especially in terms of uh, enhanced due diligence kyc etc this is a radical new skill set that is requested and that is required for those... Uh, but it's it a mindset. It's a mindset, isn't it? You've got to have it, people it is. who are going to think this is where it's going to... You mentioned a point there, took around, you know, you might renew it when the passport renews. Jeez, that's every 10 years. You know, in the online world, you're going, I'll, I'll, you know, how... Going back 10 years, you might never have reviewed somebody for 10 years, but now that's simply a no-no. The drivers from the regulator are all about, it's updated, it's dynamic, yeah. it's real-time. It's all that, yet we're still having conversations uh, around, you know, well, you know, I'll review them again off a spreadsheet in five years when the passport's renewed. Uh, and I think, I, 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 going back a little the big operators will probably be ahead of this. Yeah, whether it's new systems or whatever it's doing. But, you know, there's a chunk of the offline industry, a bit like online in certain jurisdictions where they do nothing either um, that need to get ahead of the game because it's, it's either the regulators or for me the other people we tend not to talk about a lot are consumers the next generation the future for the land based sector is not guys who look like me right they're not going to be my age it's not going to be that next generation coming through are just simply not going to put up with the friction that's in the way yeah, right, and that's um, a, a very fair point and uh, like one of the things that um that I've picked up on, um, certainly in the last um, two years or so. I mean, whenever I speak to operate, I say, look, um, the way you're doing, you know, the way that you're monitoring or managing your systems at the moment is very labour intensive. Um, you're not using enough technology. So your day job, um, which is massively um, overworked, is taken up to a certain extent on running reports 
which, if you're using technology properly, could run the reports for you and alert you to the risks and then you respond to them. That's not only in relation to transaction monitoring, um, which is a huge amount of work that the industry needs to do to play catch up on that, but also on the onboarding side. Mm -hmm. So coming back to the point you were making, if a person's passport is changed or a driving license is changed, that's automatically um, stored either with um, the GB authorities, both the passport agency or driver vehicle licensing agency. And once that, uh, once that document has changed, it's stored electronically. And it's that type of, um, uh, that would notify an operator on a profile change if it was held centrally. So, so but um, I mean, it's, well, I mean, the question obviously there, is it already maybe a little bit too late for land-based casinos to do the change or, or is it just like, let's say, a five to 12 or is it already five past 12? Um, because I mean, uh, you know, just to read our statistics, so, um, the total um, GGY for land-based casinos in Great Britain from April 2018 to March 2019 uh, was £1.1 billion, which is a 10.3% decrease from last year. And, uh, and you know, you see how obviously slick it is to just register online to a casino. So w why would you, why would you, let's say, stand at a reception for five or 10 minutes or even stand in a queue for half, for half an hour in peak times in order in order to have uh, let's say fun i mean I, I know people see it as a as a social event an example that they go out for some food uh, there's obviously different things to it but uh, do you think from that perspective it is maybe already a little bit too late or is it just just in time now to do the um, certain changes i think that um, if you look at the way in which the uh, the um the difference between the old 1968 Act to the 2005 Act. One thing the 1980s, the 1968 Act uh, allowed um, is that if you became a member of the casino, you had to join up, sign up, be identified, and there was a calling off period uh, before you were allowed to play. Okay. And in those days, you had to apply, you had to uh, even if uh, one operator had 30 casinos, you had to physically had to sign up for each individual casino as a member. There was no concept of like group membership in those days. 2005 Act obviously uh, liberalised the system. So uh, you're able to come in and um, play up to certain levels, 2,000 euros. And an operator would be able, must demonstrate to the commission that they've got controls at the front desk. And obviously to originally identify a player or be able to demonstrate that you can track them up to certain levels and you do that by having lower levels than the 2,000 euros to put in place of like an advisory um, interaction with a customer and that in itself um, uh, given the affordability levels that we've seen recently in the Gambler Commission's formal guidance notes um, has brought that down to even lower levels, um, something as low as £250 as being the initial Do, do you think point. that threshold's causing the industry problems? Um, it's probably put in for the right reasons, but having those thresholds creates this sort of maybe uncertainty. I think, I think coming back now, I think um, I think the land-based industry has dealt with the threshold approach very, very well and effectively. Um, and certainly in my experience, both personally and talking to my colleagues, is that there's there's never been a real criticism from a regulatory point of view that the uh, industry has not got that right. Uh, what they haven't got right over time is the on is the ongoing source of wealth, source of funds thing, which is a different test. Um, but coming back to the use of technology, um, if you look at the way, if you look at the old 1960s casino and look at the casinos that um, are being offered to customers now, there is absolutely, bears no resemblance. Um, I would say that um, certainly some of the um, uh, 
um, the business model was more aligned towards leisure. That's entertainment, event space, restaurants, food and beverage. Um, so almost to the extent you're talking about, like possibly anything up to 80% of revenue in some operators who offer that type of model um, compared to 20% of gaming. Or so where Vegas has gone, hasn't it? That's gone from 90-10 to 50-50. That's right. So leisure first, yeah. The argument's always been, and one that I would continue to support, is that why would you want to go to a casino that might offer good um, entertainment value, but without without going through the what we call the onboarding process? Because let's face it, I wouldn't have to do that if I went into a, a decent pub or a restaurant in the West End. They're not going to ask me for my passport or driving license. Why should that be replicated in the casino industry? Now, coming back to the use of technology um, without interfering with the customer journey, and you're absolutely right, Roger. There's no point in queuing up to have to like prove who you are to simply go and have a drink or a bite to eat. So there's one other thing that the land-based industry can take on board is the more the use of technology by the use of an iPad or a mobile phone um, to intervene with a player when it's the right place to do so. Because if a person comes in and decides to use the entertainment facilities, but over a period of time, um, maybe during the same session, decides to have a gamble and they play to certain levels, the use of technology on the floor will avoid the need for that person to be taken back to reception or even if they get asked a question which is like too far on into the session, to say, you know what, I've had enough now and then leave, so therefore you've lost a customer. So that's another thing through the, the use of like mobile technology or iPads that the industry could do a lot better. See, because I think the challenge just in that, specific instances if you're going in and you're using the leisure facilities for one of the moment you then go gamble you need to be verified how does that work and i certainly think technology can help on that but then we're all back to the start is where in the process is that because the gap for me at the moment is around you know you verify them at two thousand euros yeah well everything in online is get rid of all of that the 72 hours everything you do with it front end there must be conversations uh, sort of within the land-based sector of dragging that process forward to just do it right at the start that's right. So the, if you've got to break it down to the two camps, there's also the input there thing about age verification. Now you tend to find that um, with anyone who, I think most um, young persons these days know that in order to um, prove their age, they have to carry some form of identity, whether that be in a passport, a pass card, yep. or a driving licence, um, you know, to a high standard. We've come down to the average person who might be on a night out, but not necessarily a planned night out to a casino destination, for example. Um, there's a fair chance that they won't carry um, identification documents. They might carry a driving license, but for the most part, unless the destination is a casino, they won't have a passport. Um, and even foreign visitors who might be staying in London um, generally will have put their passport in a, in a safe. They yeah, won't come out, carry it out. And certainly in my experience, that uh, when you've got people joining or coming in for um, who might want to use gaming facilities in the more high end, that they haven't got their passport with them. And they would normally have to go back or produce it or get someone else to pick it up for them. So those are the challenges. I know it's a different challenge in terms of like an international customer. Um, but for the most part, the, um, the onboarding process for a domestic or a GB customer is still, um, for the most part, um, needs to move inside the gaming environment and not necessarily always at the front door. So, so 
uh, so I guess uh, um, again we we keep bringing those business ideas out of this ID podcast. So if anyone uh, uh, you know can offer an identity terminal. That that would be, I guess, fantastic for land-based casinos because then you don't have to bring your driving license or passport because then you type in your data and it's being matched on various databases, as an example, right? But, it, well, I mean, obviously for, for, for you know, essential land-based casinos, I mean, you know, as you said, Doug, I mean, it's obviously there's different challenges in terms of how you onboard a customer and what they have to do in order in order to, to, to obviously gain access to um um to the casino but but i guess you know the point you know there again is how do we from from a you know regulation standpoint uh, you know just a challenge on that that last section there is around you know i think we know where the technology focus on there's there's no discernible reason why you can't do that when you walk in there yeah the problem comes at a very senior level in my opinion within casinos the moment you put some friction in the way of a customer walking in uh, and then actually going to gamble, they tend to rein back from from doing it. And it's mm-hmm. not just the cost, it's yeah. the whole customer experience thing. And I think that's where technology hopefully will ease that burden of, of changing that mindset from a land base to a, a more full-on identity understanding. Because ultimately, the benefits of fully understanding your customers are so much more than the pain to actually get there, even though that pain's reduced. Well, I think, yeah, if you look at, um, as I term it, Generation X, Generation Y... <laughs> As, as it's termed, their expectation is technology. Yeah, it's mobile um, phones, iPads, and the, uh, yeah, whatever. Whether we like it or not, the smartphone um, is the thing that governs everyone's life. Um, everyone uses it. They rely very heavily on um, on, on apps. And, and coming back to digital ID, the smartphone plays a, a, a vital role. In terms of like a land-based environment, for example, um, Coming back to a busy casino on a Friday or Saturday night, now uh, certainly in London, if you're faced with an onboarding experience in a threshold environment, in other words, you've reached a point in time where you need to prove who you are for the first point in time, having having entered, which is permitted, obviously, um, by the money laundering regs. The More often than not, that customer would have to be taken back to a busy reception desk or um, in some cases a cash desk, which is in itself is going to be busy. And that in itself provides a lot of friction for the customer journey. Um, and it is frustrating for the customer. And it's also very labor intensive for management. So one of the things that the land-based industry can do, in my view, is make um, both through direct communications to customers, um, both before they start their journey and whilst, and whilst they're within their journey, is alternative means of sign-up. So in a quick five minutes, for example, sitting in the bar, what can I do? I can actually go online with my driving license or my passport. I can take a selfie. I can identify myself. And that in itself would smooth the journey. And that's something that the uh, land-based sector can embrace. Yes, I guess like in like an express lane or whatever. So you would have like, you know, people going into the, let's say, restaurant or yep. like the bar bit. Um, then actually, you know, something says, you know, please go on this website or download this application. Exactly. Um, and and then, you know, you can pick up your pass at, at, the, at the desk where it's only pick up, right? I think, you know, genuinely, I think, you know, that's the, the, the I think... Uh, it's interesting, maybe the land you know, base is actually the, the opportunity for the land base is to miss out all that old-style <laughs> clunky name address data birth stuff and almost take, just forget about it and go straight to technology. I don't want to make receptionists redundant in the industry, but... Uh, but yeah, no, but, I mean, they obviously will the be still needed. Yeah. That, so to smooth the customer process, you can have these pods or um, terminals 
which allow you to scan the passport and the ID document, take a photograph. Um, and already, I mean, casinos for a number of years now have been taking photographs routinely of people by on board, which is different from the, yeah. the online sector. Yeah, well, we, people know it. Like, like they are used to it. Well, we, and we know that. Yeah. And interestingly, the one I was involved in that did exactly that, it was, it was an interesting experience because as they walked in, what they would have had on a busy Friday evening is sort of some sort of standoff as people are wanting to get in and get told by the person on the door that they can't. The, the trial of this went in, as long as you proved your driving license and your passport, it took away all the aggression because it was almost like the computer said, no, that passport doesn't link to something. Uh, and, and the interesting unintended consequence maybe was the actual process got better and removed the, the friction and the, 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 the point of aggression where people couldn't get in. And it's less intrusive, uh, particularly, uh, or particularly at the start of the relationship. Um, that's my view. Um, I think so. I, I think and the, one of the really interesting stuff was, was, it, was it was part of NEC, which is the big Japanese conglomerate to do cities and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, what they found when, we, you were, when they were doing their testing, right, is they had two problems, two big problems. Well, they take away the quality of the camera, which is improving. One was the lighting, because lighting in a casino is very difficult for when they were trying to induce facial recognition. And the other one, if you just put a camera up there, yeah. nobody looks up there. Yeah. They all look down there on the phone. Yeah. So it was, they hadn't thought of this. They're walking in going, everybody's got their head down. And when mm. you've got one like mine, it reflects the light, which is not great. Um, but that's it. It's how do you do that? So I think... The point there is get yourself verified. It's down to the onus is on the operator to make that as seamless as possible. But I absolutely believe that next generation is going to expect that. And the power ultimately is going to be in your smartphone. Everything's and, going to be in there. And again, I think it was actually one of the points that, um, you know, Jeremy mentioned in I think the first or second podcast, like if, if, if we would improve customer messaging uh, in a way where it's, you know, friendly, I mean, uh, you know, customers nowadays, they don't like speaking to people. I mean, essentially, you know, the, obviously, you know, the younger generations, you know, they just, uh, all they like to do is, even though they're all in one room, they still on like WhatsApp and like texting themselves. So if if, if we would improve essentially our like, customer messaging and make it as friendly as possible, I think people are more receptive to just seeing signs where, uh, you know, things are there. And then again, you're going away from this human to human thing because, you know, let's face it, you, you know, sometimes you see a person and you think, oh, don't, you know, don't like him or whatever. And then it just all becomes this whole emotion thing. So if we take out the emotion a little bit, just make it a little bit easier for everyone involved. I think obviously, again, you know, then you would see that the whole scene of casinos will flourish because, you know, it's actually a pleasant experience that you would have instead of, you know, being at a reception, you know, like maybe, you know, in handwriting, uh, you know, writing out your name, your address, uh, et cetera. I think it, it, it would obviously improve uh, improve the whole process. I mean, in my opinion, obviously. And you're still seeing that, um, uh, particularly in the smaller operators, there's still, uh, they, there's still a, um, a written application form that's still being yeah, used. Yeah, no, I've, so I've done one. Uh, I'm, I'm saying that because uh, I had a friend from Germany over and uh, and he and he saw a casino. I mean, I'm not going to name it. But, uh, uh, and he said, you know, can we go in? Because I've never been in one in the UK and it looked nice from the outside. So we went in and uh, first of all, there was a queue, waited 20 minutes. And then when we got to the desk, oh yeah, can you please fill in this application form? And, I, I, and he literally had to do it by handwriting. So the whole process of us you know, queuing and getting into the casino was almost 45 minutes. 
So it's it's. Uh, can I ask Jeremy a question on this? Because I think there's a, there's an onus on the, the brands to do that. I don't guarantee you will answer the answers. You're in it. From because your experience with say the platform side. So if you look at the smaller operators and the big ones, have they been treating the land-based sector differently from online? So for me, I look at the land base and go, there's potentially a single point of failure with the one main platform that's controlling most of it. So have they been treating it differently and are they providing enough innovation to help the industry? The out? platform providers? Yeah. The platform providers, I mean, where I have been involved uh, a few years ago, uh, it was already taking with the big names of the UK industry this uh, convergence with uh, the with the cards the, the loyalty cards and the link to the player wallets but there was always this uh, requirement from the operators of the land-based industry of all constantly having those two parallel streams of yes this is the ultimate uh, stream that we want the card the player tracking but we will have to have in place a solution also for anonymous Playing, uh, they don't on, want to get rid yeah, of one-time one betting uh, in the shop, and it's more around the betting shops than the casino operators uh, themselves. Uh, this is the, the friction has come because I, I remember the first raising standard conference from the UKGC uh, four years ago. I think um, Jim Mullen was claiming his historical love of the the shops how the parents were taking and it was a social activity and explaining why anonymity is still important because you have the occasional punter he doesn't want to go and to, to provide all his details this is absolutely uh, not my area of uh, <laughs> i'm probably uh, younger in those generations than i am uh, really on the on the paper but uh, the, the solutions provided by the platforms was always reflective of those existing frictions. And, and the reason I asked is because there's, there's one main provider into, into the land-based sector and your, your, your point around the smaller operators potentially struggling to put the system in where the big boys can, that might be something, if you've got pretty much most of the market, um, you could solve that issue or help provide that. And all around sustainability and yes, the commercial entity and but there's a way there of making those processes, whether it's just reporting, taking away any written uh, paperwork or the majority of it, uh, and providing that. I just I, my, the reason I asked is my view is they did treat the two separately. Yeah? So the online guys always, got, yeah. always. I mean, I still. That's a podcast in itself, that one, yeah. But, yeah, I, know, yeah. but I know exactly what you mean, yeah. yeah.
But that's what they do. Aspects. That's their job, and they do it. <laughs> so I don't think it would be ever a problem. Uh, I think you're saying, but, but look, let's break the, break that question down into two parts. So the first question is in relation to the means of payment technology. Um, um, without going over again the uh, the uh, arguments I put forward for the use of contactless through a mobile phone, which I think still has currency in the in the uh, land-based environment, as something that should be. Uh, looked at seriously going forward and supported by the regulator, provided the operators can demonstrate that they've got the controls, the track monitor, and make sure that responsible limits are imposed. So that's in relation to means of payment. In terms of your experience of having to wait 45 minutes to be onboarded um, and prove who you are in terms of a passport, um, that in itself was seen to pro that's provided a lot of friction to your um, enjoyment. Take that forward to your guest from overseas um, who may be used to probably the same onboarding experience, but maybe a lot quicker. I mean, in Germany, you don't have to do anything. But it's just like you walk in. That's like right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but 45 minutes, um, certainly from an operator's point of view, I would say from a uh, managing director's point of view, would be unacceptable. Yeah. Um, but coming back to uh, you know the use of um, alternative technology in terms of... Um, which doesn't necessarily require human intervention, but as an alternative. So on a busy Friday or Saturday night, you could have a terminal that could be effectively used by operators to actually like make it quicker. So for example, um, if you had uh, not only terminals um, at the reception area, but maybe inside that they could go to, complete the onboarding process, scan the means of ID that they've got on them, assuming of course they've got the ID on them, but once the details have been input to the requirements that have been asked, it goes away, it does the necessary ID checks, uh, whichever provider they're using. Um, it checks against those data sets and it also, importantly, meets the requirements of PEPs and sanction screening, which determined upon the, your risk model um, is something which um, is, um, certainly in London, is a must. In a more provincial casino, PEP, PEP screen probably less important depending upon who the customer is but certainly a must as far as sanction screening is concerned so you've dealt with all of that without um and that hasn't called any friction to the customer at all also importantly the use of that technology allows it to talk to for example the sense database which is the national self-exclusion scheme for land-based casinos uh, which has always been a good tool uh, but that in itself um, would also provide um by good technology, stuff that can be identified. And let's face it, if someone does get identified as a self-excluded person, technology is going to identify that very quickly. It's going to notify a manager who can then um, interact with the customer and make sure that they're not spending money um, and again, I mean, it, it obviously shows the right steps. You know, if obviously, let's say, um, you know, a, a customer would would have had you know too much to drink, let's say, on a night, and just you know steps by on his way home in a casino. I think obviously a nice touch to, to to as a casino to the customer if someone like a senior manager will come over and so we've actually you know identify you as a self excluded customer. So uh, I think it's a totally different conversation than than if it be you know anonymous and then. Uh, the customer, you know, next day saying, you know, why did you let me play? Uh, I was on the list, like, like as an example, right? I mean, that's, uh, I mean, that, that, that's something which is um, one thing that uh, the land-based has a distinct advantage over online is that um, they can detect fairly quickly and control um, alcohol 
intake. Um, they can check very quickly uh, through the use of checking with the sense database or on the membership database whether there's a history of self-exclusion. Um, and without, you know, like online has those challenges uh, because they're not hooked up with a customer via Skype. They can't tell if an online customer is intoxicated. Um, they've got algorithms and behaviours built in, but that's not necessarily going to detect whether a person's intoxicated. Mm. So they have distinct advantages. Yeah, no, no, that's very true. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. But I think the self-exclusion question is... Is, is just a big flaw in the in the, you said it works it's just a big flaw in the online world because you know you're, you're trying to self-exclude and once they're in there politically that's simply going to be unacceptable you know it's as they go through the door how do we detect them then and i think the uk has got four different self-exclusion systems that they need to join those i know malta have got a pretty ambitious project for theirs but the challenge certainly from self-exclusion is you don't want to be self-excluding or recognizing it once they're in there that, and it is a different challenge for the land base, but it's one you've got to accept that the starting point is to, as people walk through the door, back to your comment earlier about identifying people at the start of a process, not once they hit 2,000 euros or not once they've been in there, and take away the, the challenges of its land base, sorry, its, its leisure activity, and then that there's a way of identifying that. And so I, I, I still think there's huge... Personally, I think it's huge gaps in that whole self and certainly then get onto retail. I know there's people looking at retail projects from the betting shops around there and facial recognition because their argument that the walk-in and the person behind the counter knows them simply doesn't stand up. It might do in some, but you just walk from one to another. Okay, it's going to be a lot less of them nowadays. Um, but that process is is fraught with difficulties. And, and so somehow technology can be really be the only answer, like any form of KYC, Get, take care of the 80% and leave the 20% of the people who are in the casino or are in the betting shop who can engage with them on a one-to-one -one level. I think the, yeah, I mean, the, from what I've seen um, from personal perspective um, during my work is that uh, there's been a, a, quite a substantial increase in customers who have spent, um, you know, without naming a figure, um, but a sum of money which is probably larger than what they can afford to play, who are self-excluded. So, and one of the things they're saying that you allowed me in, I've spent X. Um, Gambling Commission have made it quite clear that you should check how much I can afford to spend before I play. So, therefore, I want my money back. Now, um, again, without looking at a figure that might be appropriate to, to be applied, um, I think it's clear that um, a the consumer um, is being has been educated by the Gambling Commission, and probably quite rightly so. Um, so how do you balance that up and what type of controls do you have in place in a land-based environment? Well, I think um, the, certainly the larger operators, their first what I would call um, pinch point is a, is a lower threshold of um, speaking or interacting with a player before they reach that €2,000 threshold. I think most operators are around about the €1,500 um, equivalent, sterling equivalent which is uh, probably the right time to intervene. Which is so far away from the threshold that is now That's uh, right. identified by the Gambling Commission. It's but they, um, they must have a low, in my view, that so there's a lower level, uh, which provides what we call the first um, interaction points. And that's advising a player that if they do reach a point um, in time, then they may have to uh, provide ID if they've not already been, um, uh, say, who are you? 
question with the first Just point. back to my why aren't they done at the start? Because we're arguing about stuff we don't need to argue about, right? If you were identifying somebody, as you now have to do in an online world, yeah. right at the start, you wouldn't be having any of these conversations. No, but it does bring on top of that the topic of affordability because those, those yeah. thresholds are a sort of reality check that the interaction what they call the customer interaction, but which is basically the asset from the land-based industry, that they have the human relationship with the customers. The interaction should be, by default, taking in consideration that this is the average available income in UK, this is the average, until I don't know, until if it isn't proven. Solve, but, but, but if we don't solve affordability or find some sort of acceptable solution, we're going to end up where some of the Nordics are ending up, which is you can just bet to a certain level. That's, I think, the, in the political focus we've got at the moment, is if we don't find an acceptable... We said no political. Well, no political, that's after Friday, <laughs> because they're all talking about it. But we will, we'll end up with the, right, we'll call everybody, I don't know, 500 pounds. And then once you get to that, there's some really onerous process, or you stop them betting. Yeah, and that's not you know, that affordability is such a key thing for me now, which is you know, and don't just concentrate. We mentioned you hate the word VIP, and I'd absolutely agree with you. Um, it's it's actually the worst problems are for the people who haven't got the money. You know, we can argue at death whether somebody's betting five thousand pounds a night or whatever it might be, but it's the people on a lot less money that the affordability is. Mm -hmm. And we are walking into a problem. The industry is going to have the payday loan sector, the short-term loan sector. It was five, maybe eight years ago, which was, you know, it's it almost killed that industry because they they didn't have these processes, and we can't trust self-regulation to do it. So I think the key focus. Uh, for me, it's going to be how between us all, suppliers, operators, vendors, regulators, come up with some workable affordability. Not like the UK Gambling Commission is doing, just going find a solution. Yeah, you've got to got to work together to do that. I don't think open banking's the, the solution. The answer is I don't know what it is, but unless the industry pulls together to work out best practice and that, I think we're going to struggle. I think uh, you know, uh, and as I think I said last time, I think there needs to be a lot more conversation between between essentially financial services sector and, and the gaming sector because you know the data that both of the sectors have and when you put it together I think it's a very very powerful tool to then uh, again you know coming back to your point from from uh, some episodes ago to do more you know self-empowerment of players to uh, you know let them have the data to to obviously you know because if they can afford like they wouldn't have a problem to say well, here's my data. I've provided that to to other people, and um, but but obviously, you know, other people that might not afford it, you know, they, they you know might not do it. So you then just say, well, you know, your limit is. Um, you, you mentioned you know, earlier, absolutely. You mentioned earlier the FCA and what sort of different sort of regulators and bodies are doing. Have you seen anything from that sector that is going to sort of waterfall down into ours? Or? I think the um, certainly if it, it's quite clear that the uh, the top banks and the uh, and even the challenger banks are talking to each other um, in terms of like sharing customer data and there's this concept of open banking um, by customer consent uh, to openly share your data to give you a uh, two fronts um, certainly from an affordability point of view um, a snapshot to whoever that customer might be banking with of the overall position to best estimates only in some cases, but it certainly gives you a better idea of what the uh, customers have afford. They, the, they have made progress also in terms of offering blocking solutions to customers that uh, have gambling right, problems. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think they have listened to our podcast, which is very uh, yeah, yeah, encouraging. Yeah, no, seriously. I mean, I mean, since we've done the 
uh, you know, the first podcast, and obviously, you know, Peter started his podcast with obviously um, the, the the former um, Skybit CEO. So I can definitely Thanks recommend for the plug. Um, um, so I can definitely recommend you to have a look at that. But but I think you know since. A first um and first trend that I've seen. I think there's now about fifteen gaming podcasts uh, that, that I've come up um and to it. Secondly, at every event, and I'm not even joking here, since as we started doing the first um you know, first gaming podcast, I heard the same things over and over again that we said on the previous podcast. And 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 that cannot be a coincidence because I because I think some people are afraid of you know um of saying some things because it might you know, might well, come back it, to them. If you ever go to a gambling conference, people over the years, Jeremy will back this a bit, if you have a regulator on the panel, they tend not to say much. Uh, but we are starting, we all recognise what the problems well, are. Well, well, unless you are in um, on the Gaming in Spain um, conference. Well, yes, that's yeah, that was slightly different. But that's what we need more <laughs> of. We need to challenge the regulators. They need to challenge the operators. Everybody here has to pull it together. But the key issues are not going to go away. And we, we all know what they are. Uh, so my challenge here is we talk about them all the time. So how do we solve them? You know, is there anything this in the last twelve months that's discernibly moved the dial forward on nope. doing this? And that, you know, we're we're part of that. So how do we look at the affordability, the understanding? Because for me, a lot of it boils to, to truly knowing that customer. So whether it's the tech and data you've got, or whether it's the tech and data, but I think. For me, the one big thing is how do we share that? You've got banks, financial services sharing data. What is it that's stopping us? And for me, I can only the regulator has to do yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and in the end of the day, you have to have a working group that is really kind of, uh, you know, really looking at at, at the specific things. Uh, you know, first of all, it's obviously you know the technology that's available. Let's have a really good look at it. Let's basically do a, do, do a profile of the technology. What exactly does it give me, right? Then the regulator can say, oh, okay, you know, technology A is doing this and this, you know, technology B, blah, blah. So how do we kind of involve that within within the regulation? And then and then secondly, to come together with operators, be it online, be it, be it a, a, you know, land base, and, and then to really, you know, work out something. But, so so uh, what, what drove the financial services sector to share data? Because you can have as many workshops as you want. I love a good workshop. Yeah, we all talk and have a nice cup of tea. But what comes out of it? So what drove the banks and the insurance companies? Probably fraud initially, but they've done it. Why can't we just say, look, we know it's best practice. Yeah, well, that's self-exclusions, dragging or screaming, kicking into sharing data. We know it's best practice. Set up a working group? I don't know. I, I, it might take us a couple of steps I mean, forward. that executes something, you know, that actually does something uh, instead of just, you know, being hot there. Because, I mean, how many times was the, oh, yeah, um, X, Y, and Z are, am I sitting together? Well, so what's your, what's your views on the, you know, the whole FCA there. banking sector sharing data? Because I would assume it was AML stuff to start with. Is it uh, I think um, driven by AML in the first place, but very much now driven by affordability, yeah. uh, particularly when it comes down to the use of credit um, or payday loans and more visibility in the banks. The expectation if a bank... There's one thing that's um, from my own personal experience. Now, for example, looking at customers' bank statements or credit card statements, and, I, and when I look at them, I, the first question that comes up in my mind is what are the banks doing to alert the company or the person that's dealing with these payments to that risk from an affordability point of view? Because I've seen it time and time and again. And the answer is? Huh? And the answer is? What are they doing? <laughs> is it nothing? 
So well, they, my question is, what are they doing? But we're actually challenging them. Um, we don't know whether they're uh, reporting SARS in the background or whether they're reporting back or dialogue between the two. Um, the perception is uh, certainly what's been saying now um, in the financial sector is that they are now talking to each other to actually address those risks. And therefore, particularly in the credit card centre, there's more onus upon a credit card issuer to um, impose limits which are responsible depending on a person's financial circumstances. I want to come back to that point. Um, the land-based sector in Great Britain um, cannot accept credit cards. So there's a distinct difference uh, between that and the online sector at the moment. Yeah. And obviously uh, pending any decision that might come up. Um, That's part of the 2020 predictions. In 2020. Um, one of the... Um, Dealing with the, the regulator's view is that the only way that a um, operator can have can take a view or an, an informed view of the affordability of a customer is a they know what they do for a living. They know essentially um, have a fair idea of their underlying source of wealth and where necessary, depending upon their spend levels or where the money's coming from, the source of funds. The Things that are missing at the moment, uh, there's, there's, in my view, too much reliance upon demanding bank statements or wage slips. Um, for example, it's very easy to produce a wage slip, which is false. You can do it online, download a template, populate it, um, and create a wage slip. Um, it's also very easy to cut and paste a bank statement. Um, so unless you've actually got the trained eye, uh, which comes back to... Um, over-reliance on bank statements, in my view, um, also requires an operator to have a back-office team that is available to look at the bank statements critically and be able to deal with it effectively. Yeah. So my view is that there's, over time, in certainly in the last couple of years, there's a because the regulator insists on bank statements as being the gold standard, there's been an over-reliance on operators to insist on bank statements um, from customers. So coming back to what I call data in the background, if we look at like uh, the use of uh, digital ledger technology, um, you know, again, not necessarily looking to the future to a certain mm. extent, but looking what's happening now. Um, is it, if you ask the right questions, for example, in terms of like their person's tax position or when they last paid tax, um, whether or not they are, they've got a national insurance number, and that's two numbers which are separate and distinct, but nevertheless are registered in a central database. Um, whether or not they're PAY or self-employed is again another thing that needs to take into account. To a certain extent, if that's done fairly early on or at the right, the appropriate time, um, that gives an overview or gives an opportunity for an operator to set a benchmark on who they're doing business with. And certainly when you look at bank statements, um, what does it give you? Um, depending on how many months bank statements it gives, it gives you a historic view of where the money's coming from. Um, it won't necessarily, will not give you, and it's only a snapshot in time. So uh, one of the things that's uh, presenting challenges for the operators at the moment is how many times do I ask for bank statements and how often? Yeah, now, I know that's going to be dictated by a person's spend levels, um, but I think that um, there's, there's better ways of doing it. And certainly the use um, from what I've seen. So what would, Jeremy, that, what would you say that is? Then? What's the better ways of doing that? Uh, well, I'd say the, look, 
if you ask the, for example, if you apply for a loan or a credit or a mortgage, you're answering probably two hours worth of questions, um, whether that be via a human body recording it on a computer, which goes out and asks several questions and gives you an answer in terms of affordability for a mortgage. Now, all of those questions and answers are recorded and they're stored. They go out and they ask for a decision to be made and they score against credit reference agency, for example. But that data is stored. Now, once you give the questions and answers, it's there. Now, the use of blockchain technology and the digital ledger will store that information. Now, once you've answered a question, and, and the same thing can apply by gambling operators, you store it. And if the same, if the same questions and answers are offered by another gambling operator, for example, and they go out and test what's there, then they can come up with discrepancies. Yeah, this is exactly what, what yep. I'm praying for and and, uh, and uh, but I, I think I've been saying every time. It just makes it so much easier. It's so my, just... my message is that there, there, there has to be more investment and more acknowledgement by the regulator and supported by the regulator, but more drive from the operator's point of view to use less intrusive methods of affordability without necessarily... Um, looking at bank statements. Now, I know that, um, sorry, yeah. just quickly, um, the open banking, um, there's been an open banking trial which was driven by Barclays, I think, and Experian. Um, I don't know the full results of that, but um, I think anecdotally the feedback is that um, the take-up has been slow mm. in gambling. Um, I don't know how successful that's been overall in the financial sector, but um, when I look at some of the comments from some of the challenger banks, and indeed some of the other banks, the general take-up of open banking, in other words, giving permission to everyone to look at your financial position, has generally not um, I think been that, slow. Yeah, I think we're in a country that didn't want a national ID number, so we're unlikely to be yeah, open to national ID that. card. <laughs> and then, then taken to the, the toxicity of the brand we all work in, which is gambling. I cut that for me, that's never going to be... The answer. open banking project uh, is not clearly enough defined in terms of protection of uh, consumer or more more precisely even the misuse, potential misusages by the operators that are connecting to open banking. Open banking has been designed uh, first and foremost also around the AML uh, 5D and, and in order to promote innovation so that consumer will get better visibility on their accounts, better visibility on the competing uh, pricings, etc. And we are ending in a situation in the gambling where we have a lot of third-party vendors that are offering the open banking connect, uh, basically for players to the operators, which is granting full access to all the banking data of this customer with of course, the other operators and uh, their own life uh, and so on. And I think that the problem is that open banking has not been properly defined as, okay, who can use what sort of data? Who can see what sort of data? Because there is a lot that can be done with uh, uh, relative data rather than if you compare the banking uh, spending, etc., with the operator the player spending at the operator without having access to the full numbers you create a scoring mechanism that enables the operator to understand its the his player's relative position compared to his affordability without exposing all the numbers and today open banking is very black or white either you expose your number either you 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 undress or we cannot do anything for you 
I love so, the French guy brought yeah. the naked <laughs> <into it. laughs> like, so, I'll, I'll be dead to open banking. It's not going. It's not the answer. So uh, I mean, uh, actually, so like open banking is on the agenda for uh, next year because it's obviously becoming more and more, I guess, prominent and. If someone would actually care to explain to the public what open banking actually means, that that would be great as well. I mean, from a you know governmental, from from obviously you know that point of view. But um, I guess uh, you know just obviously because I've uh, we've just been over now already. So um, I just want to hear from uh, from all of you, like let's say like your one or two uh, you know prediction what's going to happen in 2020. Uh, let's start you with Jeremy. So 2020 predictions, I think I will start uh, with how this podcast started. I think it's all around disruption, innovation and regulation. The the, the combination and uh, the meeting of all those uh, aspects. And more precisely, like we said uh, at the beginning of uh, this episode of the podcast, I think the uh, UK will be less relevant in terms of online uh, uh, pressure for not that the regulation pressure is going to go away but the operators simply are going to go away and the whole objective of uh, consumer fairness is also starting to go away in smoke because there is less and less competition less and less operators and we will be able to see uh, a real negative impact on the, the consumers but otherwise well, that's, that's positive. <laughs> yeah, not for the consumer and exactly, not for the regular. Yeah. I mean, the industry numbers are already starting to decline, and uh, and the industry operators uh, have also started to uh, go away from the market. Um, the U.S. is going to take, uh, of course, a big uh, share of uh, the, the the attention, and and I strongly believe again that. Apple, probably Google as well, uh, and somehow Amazon around. Uh, do, do you think that's in the next 12 months? I absolutely agree with you. Yes, because uh, sports betting and, and gambling be, being now legal in the US is the open door for those companies to start tackling the topic. And the fact that Apple has started to provide its technical guidance on native uh, development of uh, its apps uh, um, they, they are uh, going to take a really a, a much bigger role. The question is not the bigger role that they are going to take, but rather in terms of regulation, what bigger responsibility they will want to, because they could be the perfect uh, intermediary body to combine and, and, and retain all this information, which they already retain on the phones and partner with the industry. I don't think that they will partner with the industry. I think that they will try to offer their own version of uh, the, the industry. So, so uh, uh, and I mean, this is for the viewers or one for the viewers, which I would like to see in the comments. Um, who do you think will, will regulate uh, uh, those giants? And would that also then pose, because it's only two or three companies offering that service, would that be also bad to the cost, um, to consumer? But, uh, but let that be out there. Okay, the, the, ju just my answer, my initial answer to that, I think we will, for UK at least, we will see a reproduction of the Uber story in London, like disruption, self-regulation and creating their own rules. And uh, uh, someone, uh, some authorities, local authorities, basically uh, confronting them and uh, not letting them go. This is what will happen in UK. This will 
push even for more exodus of gambling uh, international gambling companies from UK. So self-regulation from their own uh, from their own authority and uh, arrogance. Uh, and uh, and as we know, self-regulation obviously works very very well. Work. And, uh, <laughs> it it works really well in the uh, in the gaming <laughs> industry. So uh, uh, Doug, what are your what are your predictions for next year? Um, I, th I think um, if um, look at my predictions, I think affordability is going to provide a challenge for operators uh, going forward into 2020. Um, the, the recently revised social responsibility code, which deals with customer interaction, both for the online and uh, offline model, indeed all operators, um, um, is a new challenge. Um, whilst the formal guidance notes have been, uh, were issued in summer, um, I think it's fair to say, certainly from my experience, that both uh, the um, operators, their staff and the regulator are still struggling or still um, learning how to understand what that process um, entails. I think 2020 uh, will be a continuing learning curve, both for the operators and the regulator. And I think that's something that the regulator should also take into consideration. The other important thing is that um, in order to get to a good position, and this is the gambling industry in general, and I think that um, one would hope that the Betting and Gaming Council, uh, that now encompasses, I think, 80% of the uh, membership mm -hmm. of the uh, uh, GB operators, um, will look at uh, what we call um, trying to achieve a level playing field um, in terms of reasonable thresholds for affordability in KYC. Um, and at the moment, um, if you can't reach that agreement, there's always the danger um, that the, the people that are looking for the best KYC deal um, is probably the best way to put it, uh, whether that be for the right or the wrong reasons. Uh, is the risk is they're going to be pushed from one place to another until they get the right answer. Um, and that's something that the industry does need to address in partnership with each other. Um, and also, and I think that um, to the extent that, um, I think from my view, the message is that uh, you can achieve a uh, commonality in KYC, which is the right place to be, and at the same time concentrate on... Um, offering a better market services, uh, which you can achieve, um, which can be done separately from KYC, uh, but not trying to gain an advantage from a KYC by unrealistic thresholds. That's my uh, horizon for two, 2020. Um, well, I think if you look at the three main sort of stakeholders in the sector, you've got the operators, that's going to be on regulation. You know, it's driving the merger and activity and, you know, whatever went on with Flutter, we're only going to see that happening more, which is an interesting challenge challenge for everybody. Next one, next one, which one? Oh, no, we're not going to do that. That's outside of the podcast. So, and, and for them, it's regulation. So if this year was uh, the US, UK, Sweden and advertising anywhere, then I think we've got more US coming. Dutch is the big one that's coming, uh, European-wise, uh, next year, even though regulation's not the year after. More of the US, can Germany sort itself out? It's nope. that part, well, exactly, <laughs> it's that part of, of regulation. If you're uh, the regulator, um, then it's a case of, they're going to rewrite the WEGS. We've got a new political party coming in at some point later on this week, and then let's see what happens. Because I think if uh, we were talking earlier, if one side comes in, something's going to happen. If the other side comes in, probably not but we're absolutely looking at a rewrite of the regs, and that's something for the U UK to get its head around. And finally, the third one would be the customers. And I think with, with the political 
for focus on the sector at the moment, expect more friction. You know, if it's not credit cards, it'll be something else. If they're going to bring in more enhanced due diligence. So we're talking about having less friction. I think in the short term, we're probably going to see more. Um, so that's probably those three areas I look at. Expect more friction, meaning that the consequence will be expect a rise in illegal activities or borderline activities that are not yet considered gambling, but that could be very similar to gambling? I think it's two subjects. I think it will drive, there is an argument to say it will drive people off the regulated markets, probably not so much here in the UK, but certainly in other sectors like the, the Dutch one. Um, but if you're talking about different um, potential games or loot boxes or whatever it might be, the regulator struggling to get their head around what they already know. So trying to get their head around that's going to be a different challenge. But uh, there's regulation coming that way that way as well. And we haven't even got onto advertising. So, I mean, I think, I think for myself is, I think... Uh, one prediction: I think um, South America will will be will be the market next year. I think with uh, Brazil, Argentina, um, uh, also any other countries. I mean, like uh, uh, you know, even Chile, Peru. Um, I think it will be a very very hot market next year. Um, and I think the second one will will be. I mean, it's just uh, I think credit card um, payments and online will be will be gone. Uh, and and probably the third one is um, and well I mean I'm being very hopeful here but but I think uh, Germany is going to propose a licensing uh, um, a proper licensing model. So um, well I mean you know we we're, we're going to give it our all. I mean we've got uh, we've got someone in uh, obviously our company that actually you know, deals with the regulators and and uh, and um, um, obviously being on the case there. Uh, oh, look, I think we'd all hope for it. Yeah, but yeah, we all tell you know just to make when you get to a certain easier, right? age, you know the fact but, is you know we've um, seen some of this before, and and but let's hope it's true yeah. because I, it's probably the biggest market out there outside of the UK that's ripe and ready if you can get your sixteen states or whatever it is to to somehow pull together. Uh, that's the challenge I see. But ultimately, if you've got that political will, then you're going to get it. So mm. let's hope let's hope that's the right one. Yeah, exactly. And um, I think just just obviously from from ID podcast side of things, I mean the the support, the comments. Uh, I think you know the views and and how long people actually viewed it. It just obviously speaks for itself. So just wanted to to say a massive thank you for. Uh, um, you know, for everyone who has been involved, obviously from let's say the you know the expert side of things, and but 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 um, um, you know to obviously you know bring it you know to people and you know create some I, w- I would say you know viable and fun content in a in a short space of time rather than reading some white papers that have really small um, kind of letters uh, you know to then read for f- um, for one hour. So, so that's the first thing. Um, second thing is obviously next year. Uh, even even bigger things to come. So as you heard, um, open banking is on the agenda. We've got someone uh, actually joining from uh, from the financial services industry. Um, who it is, I'm not going to say yet. We actually have or, or have already um, um, four um, four operators that agreed um, to to come on the podcast. Um, some of them even together. Um, so so we can really you know provide the industry. So that uh, that's the next merger. That's me and you out of a job, Jeremy. That's yeah, it. yeah, indeed. <laughs> no, but, but that's the right thing to do. But, but, Look, yeah. you said earlier there's lots of podcasts out there. And whilst we may have been right at the forefront... Yeah, but are they podcasts, though? Well, but you no. just need people talking. It, you know, we're talking about collaboration, getting people to do things yeah, together. Yeah, the radio guys. Unless you can yeah. encourage them into the one Correct. room to have a conversation. Yeah. And also, and hopefully we haven't been, 
not just the standard, you know, say the right thing for the regulator. We've got to challenge regulators. They've got to challenge provi providers and suppliers. So don't be afraid of the, not that you are, but don't be afraid of the hard questions because if we don't oh, ask... Oh, no. Them, I, mean, I, I mean, I'm just here, you know, sitting on my, uh, you know, sitting in my nice place. So I, I actually... He's, uh, he's the Piers Morgan of the... <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, no, no, come on. No, come on. No, no, no. That's, that's too I know much. you did the diversity yeah. last time. <laughs> right. Um, uh, yeah, but anyway, uh, I mean, you know, thanks again to, to all three of you. Um, for obviously you know, being part Thank of you, it, um, for being part of it this year, um, really looking forward to next year. Just uh, Merry Christmas um, to to everyone who's celebrating, um, and um, a very very happy New Year and a, and a good start to the New Year. Um, and um, yeah, thanks very much for listening. Um, that was episode five. We're out. <laughs>